Hello again, fellow travellers, and welcome to podcast 184 in our series, You Should Have Been There, with me, Mick Webb, and me, Simon Calder. And today, our main topic is going to be about extreme travel, the kind that people do in groups, uh, which is arranged by, well, specialist travel firms. I've been talking to Dylan Harris. He is the founder of of Lupine Travel, based in exotic Wigan, about the sorts of trips that he is running, the sorts of people that are going on them. I'm sorry to say that as a, uh, a rather entrenched southerner, for me, a trip to Wigan might well count as an extreme journey. No, I am actually joking. Um, first, a couple of recent responses, though, to the question we posed in podcast 183, when does a holiday start for you? For Michelle Crossley, it's this moment. When your front door closes and you drive off in your own car or taxi. Whereas Sue Ricks plumps for an earlier stage in the holiday process. In my mind, it's from the planning and booking stage. I like to get value for money out of my holidays. Nigel Gray is very specific when the luggage appears off the belt at the destination airport. Smoo Crew says, well, dirty airports, long check-in, security queues, having to meander through overpriced shopping malls, lack of terminal seating, minimal legroom, poor in-flight service and a Brexit queue on arrival in the EU or grumpy homeland <laughs> security in the US. So it starts on arrival. And there's also a succinct proposal from Jay at Jammer as soon as that out of office goes on. Mick, in all of this, I'm not sure that you have declared when your holiday starts. Although we did hear that interesting uh, message from Pret at Manger at Gatwick. Well, that was actually my um, uh, holiday starting point, although I didn't declare it as such. Um, I think I've tried to keep a sort of open mind about different um, uh, starting points, depending on what the holiday is. But in general, yes, having arrived at the port airport uh, station and relaxing before getting on the mode of transport. I think that's when I uh, think of my holidays starting. But you know, there's such a wide spectrum of answers, uh, which range from, if I can uh, recap, um, Blackpool 69's As Soon As The Last Holiday's Over, to uh, filmmaker Ben, whose holiday started two or three days into his uh, stay at a particular destination, when he'd managed to rid his uh, mind of the baggage um, and concerns that he'd brought with him from his homeland. I'm not quite sure what this uh, says about uh, us and our um, characters and personalities, but I wonder if this question should be added to those uh, psychometric tests that used to be, uh, <laughs> probably still are, part of uh, some uh, job interviews. Well, yes. And your holiday, if you're going with one particular 
particular travel operator might begin, I don't know, with a trip to the life insurance broker. Let me tell you, this um, company has at the moment, and I'm just looking down the list of where where people are. um, So some are in Afghanistan, some in Saudi Arabia, Algeria, uh, the Danikil Depression in Ethiopia, uh, Libya from east to west, and one just about to embark, which is Somaliland. Uh, This is Lupine Travel, which specialises in going to all sorts of places where the Foreign Office says, do not go. But there seems to be an increasing appetite for trips to apparently dangerous places, certainly off the beaten tourist track, as I've been hearing from Dylan Harris, who's the founder of Lupine Travel. Looking at the list of tours, it's quite extraordinary how many of them are sold out so far in advance. Is that sort of business as usual for you or are you detecting that people are now desperately trying to make up for lost adventures? Yeah, definitely. I mean, last last year we did have a lot of sold out tours, but they were kind of cancellations that during COVID that have been, been put back all over the two or three years so so it was hard to get a, a real judge on 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 actual real real time demand but uh but yeah this year is um it's uh, i'd say at least half of our t- probably 50 to 60 percent of our tours are fully sold out this year so it's uh yeah and they're all bookings that have come through in the last last two or three months and let's look at uh, the some of the destinations in more detail so um i haven't properly talked to you in the past about africa but you've just got a mad number of tours there so uh, the, the Mauritanian UNESCO tour the Danakil depression tell us what those are um, so we'd, we'd always run a trip to Mauritania on the uh, on the iron ore train which had always proved popular um, it was it was mainly based around taking the taking the train from 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 the mines up into the western Saharan border um, it's something that uh, most people really enjoy it um, but sometimes it, it's maybe it sounds be- better in, in theory than, than in practice for a small minority of people. You know, most people love doing it, but it's a very uncomfortable, long, uh, cold journey. Um, but we'd had a bit of feedback that people wanted to go to Mauritania and, um, and not do the train. So, so we decided to add a, a UNESCO um, tour this year, visiting all the, there's multiple UNESCO sites over in, in Mauritania. And um, we weren't sure how that one was going to go because, you know, we kind of, we're more on the adventure side of things, and we, we, we kind of felt that the, it was the iron ore train that was the big puller, but, but the, the UNESCO tour has proved really popular, so yeah, that's, that's sold out, and we've, we've now added another one, so uh, yeah, we'll see how that one goes. And the Danakil Depression, that's um, something that I think few people know about, and it's also in Ethiopia, which is also in some strife, as I'm sorry to say, Dylan, a lot of your destinations tend to be. That's right, yeah. So we we'd, uh, we did have to reroute um, our uh, Ethiopia tours over the last couple of years. Um, th- this year we have as well. We used to, uh, we used to fly to Makale, we now fly to Samara. Um, things are things are stable, stabilized a little bit, and the Danakil region itself is 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 unaffected by uh, by the uh, issues in the Tigray region. Um, but uh, yeah, we've been running that tour since 2014. So yeah, we visit the uh, Ertrale volcano. The, um, it's at uh, different levels each year. Sometimes it's ready to erupt. Other times it's. It's not quite as high, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a place that's that's changing the um, the, the, the 
the Chinese are really, really keen to, to, to get influence over there, and they're, they're really pushing. They've built a lot of roads in Ethiopia, as they have in a lot of places in, in Africa, and they want to uh, pave most of the Danakil region, but the, the locals, are, they want to keep the traditions of the camel trains, where they transport salt from the salt flats to the local markets. It's still done by camel, and it, you know, it takes multiple days. It could be done by road in a couple of hours, but they, they're, they're still stru- keeping strong at the moment and refusing to let uh, any roads be built. So it's still a chance to see to see that ancient tradition while it still exists. I suppose improved infrastructure in Africa actually makes some of your trips uh, an awful lot more manageable and perhaps even enjoyable. Um, it does, yes, yes. So we've just uh, we just had a guinea to a finish uh, yesterday, and uh, the um, the the road the roads of they they haven't improved the roads all over the country, but the main road leading from Conakry up to the north is now down to a nine ten hour journey where it used to be at least quadruple that when i when i when i first went there only five years ago so yeah things are changing changing rapidly it's uh it's becoming much easier and much much more comfortable to uh travel around these places um destinations like equatorial guinea like nigeria they are not places that people really ever associate with tourism so what, what are you delivering to people in those places? Um, well, Equatorial Guinea especially, that's been one that's been so difficult to, to obtain a visa for for many years. Um, I, I managed to get in there in January 2020 um, and I set up a tour and obviously things came crashing down for the next couple of years, but we managed to run our first group tour there in September. Um, during that trip, we just visited the uh, Malabo, the island off the mainland. Um, there, there's um, there's trekking that's possible. Um, the road, the, the roads are in great, great condition. You know, all around the country, there's uh, there's amazing beaches. There's um, waterfalls. There's uh, nesting turtles. Um, so that that was we were just planning to only do that, but we're actually expanding now to the to the mainland. So so that's uh, that's going to be a trip later this year. Okay, um, and where else is um, surprising you in terms of getting new access? Um, I mean, I've uh, I recently set up a trip to Papua New Guinea. I mean, access there has always been possible, but it's uh, it's not it's not um, it's not overly simple to to move around. So um, um, that's something that I've uh, usually I just do a, re- a research trip, and, and that very suddenly, very soon afterwards, will develop into a into a standard tour but it's going to take me about three or four more of those research trips before I get it to, to anywhere near a, a tour that's ready to go but, but but demand has been really increasing for that we've seen so many inquiries for, for Papua New Guinea over the over the past uh, the past uh, few months but um, I guess probably at least half the places that you run tours to are on the no-go list from the foreign office does that give you concerns um I um, I won't say I know the the foreign office list because I, I certainly don't. But but I but I, I also take on as many different uh, sources as possible. Uh, mainly listen to um, sources that I have on the ground from uh, from media to local government contacts to to fixers to um, um, to security advisors. Um, so I, I get I get my information from as many different areas as possible. Um, there's obviously I wouldn't be running trips to Palestine at the moment or um, but um, there's 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 certainly there's certainly um, a slight level of concern about about the region um, 
Lebanon, Lebanon. I feel it's um, it's it is actually still fine to to visit there at the moment, and we are still running a trip in April. But um, we've uh, that used to be one of our most popular trips. But we've quite understandably we've had multiple cancellations off it, so we're going to be running running that with a very small group. But we're we're monitoring things on a on a daily basis, and if anything was to was to to cause any any concern, then we would pull it or change the itinerary or the routing. Who is the typical lupine? customer because um, you can look at many other travel companies and say oh yeah their their typical customer is maybe a 65 year old woman um who, who's yours um i think the the, the typical customer the, the typical thing is that there is no typical customer for us when i certainly when i started off the company it was mainly 20 to 30 year olds um adventurous backpackers um and then it's really it's really kind of uh, it's such a very demographic now it's um we're about 60% British and the rest are spread all around the world uh, European, American, Australian, Singapore um, uh, burgeoning market into South America as well we've had quite a lot of Brazilians and Mexicans um, and just a really wide age range we've, we've actually we've got a trip in Congo at the moment and we've got our old, eldest ever clients on that tour he's a 92 year old Australian well, that's Dylan Harris of Lupine Travel, and it's clearly uh, never too late for a bit of uh, extreme travel. Uh, is it something that appeals to you, Simon? Well, yes, of course. I've been on a Lupine trip. The first time I encountered uh, Lupine Travel was uh, actually when they were setting up the Wigan to Pyongyang Express. Uh, this wasn't a direct train from either Wigan Northwestern or Wigan Wallgate to uh, uh, the capital of North Korea, but it was a trip that was going to involve, well, starting you know, every journey begins with the first step, or in this case, an Avanti West Coast train from Wigan to uh, London, Euston. Um, that never happened. And uh, North Korea, although the signs of it opening up, it's still not going to happen for a while. But then we got talking and then he said, oh, um, we're doing trips to Socotra, this wonderful island off the uh, coast of Yemen. So I said, yes, please, I would love to do that. And even though uh, my flight to Cairo was cancelled because of um, COVID, and even though it was clear that frontiers were clattering shut across the world, this was in March 2020, I went ahead. It was wonderful. Um, but unfortunately, we then got um, uh, repatriated quite messily and hurriedly. Well, the, the company was great, but uh, the whole thing was a bit of a mess um, after about five days. Um, anyway, things clearly bouncing back quite spectacularly. And it does remind me that, of course, the older you get, the lower your risk threshold should be. People who are 22 should be really cautious about the places they go to and the things that they do because they've got so much of life ahead of them and uh, it would be tragic to uh, cut that short. Whereas um, with the greatest respect, Mick, you and I um, should be um, go going around and uh, and trying all these mad and, and slightly dangerous things because frankly, if we don't come back, it's not the end of the world. Well, it obviously is for us, but uh, not for not for anybody else. Can I put an opposite uh, point of view here, which is that maybe um, uh, the older you get and the more mortal you feel, the more you cherish um, every day of, uh, of normal life. Uh, and uh, for example, today um, in Streatham, it is um, a beautiful wintry, sunny day. And uh, before we started the recording, I was just sitting... Mm -hmm 
quietly having a coffee and um, my breakfast muesli and um, talking to the cat. So in short, um, I cherish these kind of moments uh, so much that I probably wouldn't want to... uh, uh, prejudice having more of them by getting on the uh, uh, the Mauritanian iron ore train. Well, I, I will send you a report from, from said train. Um, anyway, I think... Uh, but enough of, of, of such mortal things. I, I need to talk to you about my most recent miracle, which was neither in Streatham um, nor in Mauritania. Uh, it was the miracle of Malahide and how I managed to get Malahide. through get around quite a lot of, um, well, at least County Dublin, uh, by public transport without spending any money. Not deliberately, I hasten to add. Um, I am the... So can I just interrupt there? So Malahide is uh, in Ireland. Yes. So let me um, let, let, let me set, set the scene for you. So uh, I was in Dublin, where I go to regularly, not least because um, Europe's biggest airline, Ryanair, is based there. Um, I flew in actually on Aer Lingus and I was heading for the south of the city and uh, the buses are all very complicated, but the good old number 16 is the one to go for. Um, so I queued up, I got in, I handed my um, my card thinking, well, of course you pay with contactless and I couldn't. And the driver said, no, you've got to give us two euros 60 in change. And I said, well, I'm got any. And it all got very, very tricky. The woman behind me said, look, I'll pay for yours. So um, she did. <laughs> I then said, well, here, ha- have a five euro note. I'd rather you had that than Dublin buses. And she said, no, you, you must, you must um, uh, pass it on to somebody else. So that was very good. And I got into uh, Dublin all oh. very nicely and um, that, that was very generous. And cheaply. <laughs> well, very yeah. cheaply, yes. So next day I am heading for Skerries. This is at the top end of County Dublin, an absolutely lovely fishing port and there's some a, a scattering of offshore islands, some of them decorated with more, more martello towers and i i'd not been there before i was determined to get there but i i also needed to get to malahide before the castle and gardens closed so everything was tight um i mistimed my stroll to the bus stop the bus set off without me i was chasing it literally for about half a mile sprinting (laughs) thinking there's a little bit of traffic down there and those lights have just turned red and i finally tracked him down the driver opened the door he just said get on and sit down and um wouldn't wouldn't take my um uh, my my payment then either so i've got all the way from dublin airport into uh, malahide into uh, the city without uh paying i then got myself to skerry's had a lovely time there now then to get to Malahide, I had to catch the train. And it was such a lovely place. Beautiful afternoon. I mean, your morning in Streatham sounds idyllic, but so was this afternoon in in, in uh, Skerries. And I was taking pictures and so on. I thought, oh, crikey, look at the time. And I ran, ran, ran to the station. And I was 300 metres away with 30 seconds to go before the train went. And that wasn't ever going to work. But... This woman who was driving past realised what was happening and wound down her window and said, get in, I'll get you to the station. And she did. And we raced to the station. I jumped out before the car had drawn to a halt. I said, you are an angel and um, ran and jumped onto the train and just made it um, to Malahide 
And uh, in good time, I went, of course, how, how was I going to buy a ticket? I ran up and down the train looking for the guard. I couldn't find one. I got to the to, to the other end. I said, I, I haven't got a ticket. I didn't have time to buy one. And he said, oh, you're going back. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, oh, don't worry then. And off you go. So I traveled around most of County Dublin without paying a penny. And I had also encountered the miracle of Malahide in the form of this angel suddenly appearing when all was lost and um, whisking me to to the station just in time to catch the train. Well, I'm very glad to hear that your travel appeal certainly doesn't seem to have diminished with age. (laughs) Anyway, you have more ambitious travel plans, Mick. You are going to Australia. Uh, Yes, I am hoping um, it's uh, not signed and sealed at all, but um, we are at stage one of the uh, holiday process um, uh, of trying to work out uh, what dates it would be sensible to go to Perth in Western Australia to see my brother, who I have never visited. He's been there for 30 years, um, but it's always <laughs> seemed rather a long way. Um, and uh, and then to carry on to the Northern Territories to Darwin, where my uh, younger son is currently working. Um, oh. And uh, I have no idea how to do this so well um any any, any assistance really um would be helpful i know there is a direct flight a direct daily qantas flight from heathrow airport to perth western australia which seems like a very good starting point it 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 does i mean you're slightly i i would say mick is there anywhere between London and Perth that you thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to go there for a couple of days? Um, because you're going to be flying over it anyway. For example, uh, um, if you wanted to go to anywhere in the Gulf, um, whether that's Doha or Abu Dhabi, which would probably be my choice, or Dubai, you can you can kind of throw that in. Um, Singapore uh, is all there and yeah. waiting for you, um, and as is Bangkok. So you can kind of almost pick a stopover along the way but let's assume, uh, uh, the the other thing is that it is an incredibly effective way of getting from london to uh, australia it's the only direct flight it's been running since um uh april 2019 i believe um i, I was on the um, the very first flight in economy and it's not as bad as you think um so I, uh, your, I recall, so 17 hours approximately, and I recall about nine or 10 hours in flying over uh, Colombo in Sri Lanka, thinking, mm, would I want to land here in the middle of the night, um, walk around a duty-free shop under fluorescent lights for you know, a couple of hours and then get back on having stretched my legs? No, actually, I'd rather keep going for another um, seven or so hours and just get to my destination. Yeah, a, a good and efficient way of getting there and well worth, I'd say, sp- spending a week or so in Perth and just making the most of uh, this strange and exciting land. Well, thanks for that. I also have a uh, dilemma about how best to travel from Perth to my other main destination in Australia, which is Darwin, sort of right up in the north, in the uh, northeast of the country. 
uh, and actually a tropical destination I'm amazed to um, discover and a ludicrous distance from Perth. Yes, it is. Um, I'm going to put Darwin actually pretty much uh, at the top end of Australia, definitely, um, but pretty much in the middle of Australia. And just to give you some idea of, of, of the distance, it's significantly further from Perth to Darwin, over 1,600 miles, than it is, say, from um, London to Istanbul. So it's a heck of a journey. Yeah. And, of course, you don't have um, quite the same transport infrastructure. So, I mean, it seems that you could um, fly direct or you could meander around the coast a bit or you could um, go um, as it were, across the middle and stop off at Alice Springs or Uluru. Uh, any recommendations? Yes, and I'm going to give you the the full range of options, none of which are, are, are a perfect fit. I've actually made the journey from Perth to uh, Darwin, and I did it in three goes. So first of all, a flight to the mount, the mining town of Mount Tom Price, then hitchhiking all the way through to a place called Catherine, and then I managed to, what well, I was going to say, talk my way onto a little light aircraft, pay my way onto a little light aircraft to fly up to Darwin. Um, in your case, if you're not going to make a complete uh, kind of overland trek of it, which you, you could do, but you're going to need a, a full week to cover the distance going around, effectively around the coast, um, I'd say think about getting a flight as far as Broome, yeah. which is a, a really interesting laid back port in the northwestern That's side. That's Broome with an E, isn't yes, it? Yes, um, of, yeah. of South of Western Australia. Um from there you will be able to travel um oh yeah do you, do you mind doing a bit of hitchhiking? Because that's a very, very good way to get around. Uh, I think we might have too much gear. I don't think we're going to be travelling as light as you tend to. Um, oh, well, you can. There, there will be ways of getting around from there. But very much uh, stop off as I did in Catherine. That's a... Uh, it feels a bit like a frontier town, but it's also got all manner of lovely um, attractions. So there's a gorge which you can go through on a boat and you, you can walk around. You would love the hiking in the area. Uh, there's hot springs in the middle of town. There's oh, a like really yeah. interesting Aboriginal experience which you can where, where you can learn, for example, to uh, uh, play the didgeridoo and to throw a a, a uh, boomerang yes <laughs> that'll be the one ah and, well and, that would be interesting because i've never got that to work um uh, yes. i mean i've endangered um uh, <laughs> um fell, i i have endangered people in various parks or did when i was a student but it, the thing um, never got back to me yes i i can imagine um perth to uh, Uluru and to Alice Springs. Well, there is a kind of a, a, an overland crossing to get there, but it's very rough and you do need huge amounts of preparation. And annoyingly, there's no flights direct from Perth to Uluru 
at the moment that I can see. And so that would require kind of a bit of there and back. You might even have to go across to Adelaide in South Australia and then go north from there, which would be a, a bit of a pain. So I'd probably say uh, go for the uh, the broom alternative and then um, meander yeah. up, up from there to Darwin. And when you're in Darwin, then uh, coming back, well, you, you've got a choice of um, options, but basically you'll get yourself from Darwin to Singapore and then yeah. come back from there. So, uh, well, so some thoughts, but uh, it, it really is a great opportunity to see the so-called top end and at a pretty good time of year to be there as well and yeah. to see how every, everyone lives their life there. Darwin itself, well worth 48 hours of anybody's uh, time just to explore the, the really fascinating city. Well, thank you very much for that, Simon. Some food for thought uh, and for some... Uh, further research, I think. In terms of future podcasts, we're really interested to uh, find out what uh, you think is the essence of travel. What is the real meaning of it for you? Maybe um, exemplified by a um, an experience, a sort of little pen picture uh, of some kind. What for you lies at the heart of true travel? You can let us know on X, formerly Twitter, at you should have BT, or you can leave us an audio message. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash you should have been there and follow the instructions. But for now, from me, Mick Webb, and me, Simon Calder, goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.